I was lucky for a few years to organize um, a peace conference. I worked for the Undercroft Montessori School. Maria Montessori believed that children could be taught peace, and I know she was also thinking, and those parents, because <laughs> where do we learn things but from our children? And so for a couple of years, I helped organize a, a regional conference, and we brought teachers in and parents and gave them as many tools as possible to teach tool, uh, tools for making peace in the home, in the classroom, on the playground with their playmates. And a dear friend of mine teaches sociology at TU, and her child also went to Undercroft. And after a few years of these really successful and great fun conferences, because making peace is also about making joy and art and fun, she said, well, what about poverty? And what about hunger? And what about homelessness? You aren't discussing anything about economic disparity. You aren't really talking about all of the things that we can't have peace without. If people don't have their basic needs met, if they don't have food, if they don't have housing, if they don't have access to education, if they don't have access to jobs, if they don't have access to what could make them the most full and whole person possible, can we really have peace? Sure, you can teach how to speak and be peaceful, but that doesn't address really some underlying issues. And what she was talking about was injustice. Can't really have peace if injustice is afoot. So, in case you haven't gathered, our monthly theme for February is justice. And there are so many ways to define it, and I think I want to pick the simplest, which is I want to equate it with fairness. There are so many kinds that we can talk about. Distributive justice and retribution and justice, restorative justice, but I want to think of it in those very simple terms of fairness, which isn't always about equal, but it is about equity, about someone having access to food and education. Um, we are a, a tradition that talks a lot about fairness and justice and, and that it's rooted in our relationships. We're a tradition that believes in covenant, and that I have to make sure my relationship with you remains clear and clean, and, and it may get broken, but what makes us different is we're willing to come back to the table and try to figure out how to make the relationship work. So embedded in our, so we have seven principles, seven, they're not rules, they're aspirations. We have seven aspirations. And our second principle talks about justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. I once argued with someone that 
we, we say a covenant at the beginning of every single worship service, but that we are actually in covenant with the cosmos. And even those people we dislike or maybe those animals or bugs or whatever, germs, flu bugs, hard to love those. <laughs> but we're actually in covenant with them and our responsibility to love them and be just. And then we have six sources. We're an amazing religious tradition that believes the Bible is not the sole word of God and that there is wisdom to be found in an infinite number of places, but we try naming them just because we're like that. And so our second source is the words and deeds of prophetic women and men which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil. And the way you confront powers of, of evil is with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. So I want to tell you about a UU minister whom I admire deeply. He's in Washington, D.C., and his name is Donald Robinson. <coughs> And um, he worked with children in Northeast D.C., got his um, divinity degree from Howard University, and he opened something called Beacon House in order for the children in his neighborhood to have after-school support, you know, homework. And, and he started with three or five kids, and of course... It's now been going on for over 30 years and thousands of children's lives have been supported and transformed by having access to additional food, education, support, and love. And the reason I want to tell you about him besides that, I want to read to you. He talks about what justice is and what social, social justice is. Many people use the term social justice in self-serving ways. What they mean by social justice is just us. <laughs> but social justice can only begin with the interaction between fortunate people and those who are disadvantaged. It is incumbent upon those who, by virtue of the accident of birth, or other circumstances have good jobs, good educational background, and good lives to come to the assistance of those who face formidable obstacles to getting an education and leading fulfilling lives. Social justice insists that people are not their circumstances. They are their possibilities. Social justice demands that all people regardless of their birth circumstances, are entitled to a fair chance at life, that every person has a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So I think about just us, justice. And, um, and that justice is built on love and what breaks your heart that's kind of where you have to start. What are my experiences? What breaks my heart? 
But then the breaking of your heart has to crack open your heart so that you begin to see where other people's hearts are broken and where their needs are. So I think it's... I th- I, uh, I'm going to say to Donald, yes, that where you start is with just us. That's the only place you can start is with yourself. But then... But then... You have to use that just us to go, oh, there is also just us in this setting that I'm unfamiliar with and looks really weird and different to me, but it's the same just us. So if you will bear with me, I'd like to interrupt. I know you won't mind that. I'd like to show a brief eight-minute video and then come back and talk about just us justice. I found this TED Talk, We Who Believe in Data. Uh, There is a woman whose um, parents were statisticians, and she has created a visual database of how people live their lives around the world, and it's searchable. What does your toothbrush look like compared to my toothbrush compared to your toothbrush? So it's part of just us. I know what my toothbrush looks like, but I can't imagine... Can we roll it, Larry and Joe? OAV masters. And choir, if you want to come move and see a bit of it. It's a TED Talk. What images do we see from the rest of the world? We see natural disasters, war, terror. We see refugees. A little louder. And we see horrible diseases, right? We see beautiful beaches, cute animals, beautiful nature, cultural rights, and stuff. And then we're supposed to make the connection in our head and create a worldview out of this. And how is that possible? I mean, the world seems so strange. And I don't think it is. I don't think the world is that strange, actually. I got an idea. So imagine the world as a street, where the poorest live on one end and the richest on the other, and everyone in the world lives on this street. You live there, I live there, and the neighbors we have are the ones with the same income. People that live on the same, in the same block as me, they are from other countries, other cultures, other, other religions. The street might look something like this. And I was curious. In Sweden, where I live, I've been meeting quite a lot of students. And I wanted to know, where would they think they belong on a street like this? So we changed these houses into people. So this this is the 7 billion people that lives in the world. And just by living in Sweden, most likely you belong there, to the richest group, right? But the students, when you ask them, they think they are in the middle. And how can you understand the world when you see all these scary images from the world and you think you live in the middle while you're actually at top? Not very easy. So I sent out photographers to 264 homes in 50 countries so far, still counting. And in each home, the photographers take the same set of photos. They take this bed, the stove, the toys, and about 135 other things. So we have 40,000 images or something at the moment, and it looks something like this. 
So here we see it says on the top, families in the world by income, and we have the street represented just beneath it, you can see, and then we see some of the families we have visited. And we have the poorer to the left, the richer to the right, and everybody else in between, as the concept says. We can go down and see the different families we have been to so far. Here, for instance, we have a family in Zimbabwe, one in India, one in Russia, and one in Mexico, for instance. So we can go around and look at the families this way. But of course, we can choose if we want to see some certain countries and compare them, or regions, or if we want to see other things. So let's go to the front doors and see what they look like. Go here, and this is the world by front doors, ordered by income. And we can see the big difference from India, Philippines, China, Ukraine in these examples, for instance. What if we go into the home? We can look at beds. This is what beds can look like. Doesn't look like the glossy magazines. Doesn't look like the scary images in media. So remember that the students in Sweden, they thought they were in the middle of the world income. So let's go there. <laughs> we zoom in here by filtering the street to the middle, like this. And then I ask the students, so is this what your bedroom looks like? And they would actually not feel very at home. So we go down, see, do they feel more at home here? And they would say, no, this is not what a Swedish typical bedroom looks <laughs> like. We go up here, and suddenly they feel sort of at home. And we can see here in this image, we see bedrooms in China, Netherlands, South Korea, France, and United States, for instance. So we can click here. If we want to know more about the family, the home in which this bed stands, we can just click it and go to the family, and we can see all the images from that family. So we can go this way too. And of course, this is free for anyone to use. So just go here, and please add more images, of course. My personal favorite that everyone always tries to make me not show, I'm going to show you now, and that's toilets, <laughs> because you're not really allowed to look at people's toilets. But now we can just do it, right? So here, <laughs> we have a lot of toilets, look pretty much as we're used to, right? And they are in China, Netherlands, United States, Nepal, and so forth, Ukraine, France. And they look pretty similar, right? But remember, we are in the top. So what about checking all the toilets? Now it looks a bit different, don't it? So this way we can visually browse through categories of imagery using photos as data. But not everything works as a photo. Sometimes it's easier to understand what people do. So we also do video snippets of everyday activities, such as washing hands, doing laundry, brushing teeth, and so on. And I'm going to show you a short snippet of toothbrushing, and we're going to start at the top. <laughs> so we see people brushing their teeth. Pretty interesting to see the same type of plastic toothbrush is being used in all these places in the same way, right? Some are more serious than others. <laughs> and then coming down to this poorer end, then we will see people start using sticks. And they also might use their finger to brush their teeth. So this particular woman in Malawi, when she brushes her teeth, she scrapes some mud off from her wall, and she mixes it with water, and then she's brushing. So therefore, in the Dollar Street material, we have tagged this image not only as her wall, which it is, but also as her toothpaste, 
because that is also what she uses it for. So we can say, in the poorer end of the street, you will use a stick or your finger, you come to the middle, you will start using a toothbrush, and then you come up to the top, and you will start using one each. Pretty nice, not sharing toothbrush with your grandma. Uh, and you can also look at some countries. Here, we have the income distribution within the US, most people in the middle. We have a family we visited in the richer end, the Howards. We can see their home here. And we also visited a family in the poorer end, down here. And then what we can do now is that we can do instant comparisons of things in their homes. So let's look in their cutlery drawer. So observe the Hadleys. They have all their cutlery in a green plastic box. And they have a few different types, and some of them are plastic. While the Howards, they have this wooden drawer with small wooden compartments in it and a section for each type of cutlery. We can add more families and we can see kitchen sinks or maybe living rooms. Of course, we can do the same in other countries. So we go to China, we pick three families, we look at their houses, we can look at their sofas, we can look at their stoves. And when you see these stoves, I think it's obvious that it's a stupid thing that we usually, when we think about other countries, we think they have a certain way of doing things. But look at these stoves, very different, right? Because it depends on what income level you have, how you're going to cook your food. But the cool thing is when we start comparing across countries. So here we have China and US. And see the big overlap between these two. So we pick the two homes we have already seen in these countries, the Wu's and the Howard's. Standing in their bedroom, pretty hard to tell which one is China and which one is US, right? Both have brown leather sofas, and they have similar place structures. Most likely, both are made in China. So I mean, that's not very strange, <laughs> but that is similar. We can, of course, go down to the other end of the street, adding Nigeria. So let's compare two homes in China and Nigeria. Looking at the family photos, they do not look like they have a lot in common, do they? But start seeing their ceiling. They have a plastic shield and grass. They have the same kind of sofa. They store their grain in similar ways. They're going to have fish for dinner, and they're boiling their water in identical ways. So if we would visit any of these homes, there's a huge risk that we would say that we know anything about the specific way you do things in China or Nigeria, while looking at this, it's quite obvious. This is how you do things on this income level. That is what you can see when you go through the imagery in Dollar Street. So going back to the figures, the 7 billion people of the world. Now we're going to do a quick recap. We're going to look at comparisons of things in the poorest group. Beds, roofs, cooking. And observe, in all these comparisons, the homes are chosen, so they are in completely different places of the world. But what we see is pretty identical. So the poorest billion cooking would look somewhat the same in these two places. You might not have shoes, eating if you don't have a spoon. Storing salt would be similar, whether you're in Asia or in Africa. And going to the toilet would be pretty much the same experience, whether you're in Nigeria or Nepal. In the middle, we have a huge group of 5 billion. Uh, but here we can see you will have electric light, most likely. You will no longer sleep on the floor. You will store your salt in a container. You will have more than one spoon. You will have more than one pen. The ceiling is no longer leaking that much. 
you will have shoes, you might have a phone, toys, and produce waste. Coming to our group up here, similar shoes, Jordan, US. We have sofas, fruits, hairbrushes, bookshelves, toilet paper in Tanzania, Palestine. Hard to distinguish if we would sit in US, Palestine, or Tanzania from this one. Vietnam, Kenya, wardrobes, lamps, black dogs, floors, soap, laundry, clocks, computers, phones, and so on, right? So we have a lot of similarities all over the world. And the images we see in media, they show us that the world is a very, very strange place. But when we look at the Dollar Street images, they do not look like that. So using Dollar Street, we can use photos as data and country stereotypes, they simply fall apart. So the person staring back at us from the other side of the world actually looks quite a lot like you. And that implies both a call to action and a reason for hope. Thank you. It's called Dollar Street. Gapminder is the website. Um, it's been nice knowing you because you'll get lost in it. <laughs> you can look at what are people's favorite objects. What, um, but I show it to you because when our hearts are broken and then broken open, I'm hoping that broken open means we're curious. You know, for, um, since I've been here, I've been hoping to move us towards being more curious about what it means to be in South Tulsa. We do a lot of fabulous work, but often it's in other parts of the city. I'd like to know who's homeless in South Tulsa. Who's hungry in South Tulsa? I may go on a... Uh, there's a group that does a, a night count once a week to count the homeless. I think Yadni and I are going to try and go and do a little reconnaissance and come back and say, come with us. Let's meet those whom we feed once a month and have for decades now. And if that gave me any, uh, if I ever say I'm, I'm from a middle income, I will no longer say it. We have more toothbrushes than we know what to do with, and cars, and toilets, and flushings. Anyway, um, I'm th I was thinking about um, justice, and by being curious, being curious takes time, because you're developing relationships, someone has to trust you enough to answer your questions, and you have to think long enough to ask the next question. And that that's the heart of relationships, of building relationships, so that we trust each other to talk about what's really going on in our lives and what has broken our hearts and how it's broken open. Um, and I was thinking about Martin Luther King, since we just marched in his parade and have been reading his works again anew. And you know, at the very end of his life, he, he started speaking out about the Vietnam War, peace. But he also started the Poverty Project because he realized economic injustice. We could never have peace without 
dealing with our economic... And that's something we don't talk about much in our association. We talk about race, we talk about gender, we talk about theology, we talk about income <clears throat> is a little touchier. We'll make testimonials. That was lovely, Ken. But to really address some of the economic issues are places we need to be curious. It looks like we're surrounded by bounty up here on this hill. I don't know if that's true. So I'm asking us to give thought to some of the nursing homes that might be near us. What are they like? Could we go in and meet those people and read to them? And can our hearts that are broken open, can we pay attention to just us and how our hearts are open and broken and curious? And then can we embrace just us as being the whole world? May it be so.